like you're trapped in here now. <laughs> How was dinner? Excellent. I always hate giving a talk after dinner because I give people indigestion. It's, I'm the one to blame. Um, let's begin in prayer. How's that sound? In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. And uh, I thank you, Lord, for this day, for the meal that we've just eaten. And I ask you to come, Holy Spirit, the teacher of truth, the spirit of love, the spirit of truth. Come and fill this place. Come and descend upon us as in a new Pentecost to revive our hearts, to heal our wounds, to assuage our sorrows. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Bring about a new Pentecost in our midst. Strengthen your people, Lord. We are tired. We are tired. But we are not broken because we have you, Lord, and your power is made perfect in weakness. So come, Holy Spirit, and teach us what you want to say. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. And I'm, I'm so delighted that there's, I'm, I'm told there's um, others from other uh, denominations, Protestants, Evangelicals, and I love you. And uh, I'm so glad that you're here uh, and how this is uniting us. The truth will set you free. Amen? Amen. Amen? So some of that talk is a little bit tough in part one. But you know, when John Paul II said it was the final confrontation, he wasn't referring to the end of the world. That's not what's coming. Not yet. Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew 24, he spoke about labor pains. He said there will be wars and rumors of wars. Does that sound like our world right now? He said that there will be famines. In 2022, the um, Secretary General of the United Nations said that there is a coming global famine. All over America right now, food plants are burning down mysteriously. They're culling chickens and cattle all over the world. It's a man-made famine. Jesus said there would be plagues from place to place. Now they're talking, as I said, about disease. All these things Jesus said are the labor pains. And... And, and then he goes on to say there will be persecution. But then he says something really interesting. He says that this gospel must go to the ends of the earth as a witness to the nations. And then the end will come. So we're in this phase right now where we're going through the labor pains. And Jesus said something beautiful about it himself. He said when a woman is in labor, she's in anguish because her hour has arrived. And many of you were in anguish, anguish right now. Some of you are keeping up with the headlines. Some of you are avoiding them, which is not necessarily a bad thing at all. Because uh, I always call the news Satan's playground. But you see, in 2002, and I want to explain this. In 2002, I was at World Youth Day. And John Paul II said something to us young people when I was there. He said, I call you, I call you <laughs> to become watchmen who announced the coming of the risen Christ. He said it several times. I'm calling you to be watchmen who announced the coming of a new day. And in 2005, and it's another story, the Lord, when I was praying in a Ukrainian church before the Blessed Sacrament there, I was on my knees praying, had a conversation with the Lord, and the Lord called me to that vocation. I was terrified. 
Who wants to talk about these things, right? I've been accused of doom and gloom by so many people I've lost count. I don't think the message is doom and gloom. I look at them and I say, what's more doom and gloom? That we keep aborting our babies? Confusing the gender of our, our teenagers? And assisted suicide and wars and famines? That's the plan of the devil in the world right now. That's the trajectory. That's doom and gloom. Or would you rather hear about the good news of what's following? But you see, once Pope uh, Benedict was asked once, he said, why? why are you such a pessimist? And he turned around and he said, I'm not a pessimist. He said, I'm a realist. And as a journalist, I'm interested in facts. And I refuse to skip over the truth. And it's cost me. It's cost some of you in here to speak the truth. You know that. Nobody knows that more than in the pro-life movement. But, but Jesus says, she, after the hour has arrived when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the pain because of her joy that a child has been born into the world. <laughs> and I just had a flashback of my eight children coming into the world. Oh, the joy in the room. And you forget. Suddenly you forget. My wife doesn't sit there holding the baby in her arms going, oh, you know, the 20 minutes ago, that one crowning pain I had. She's just crying and holding. And this is what's coming. Pope Benedict said when he was a cardinal that John Paul II does indeed cherish a great expectation that the millennium of divisions will be followed by a millennium of unifications. That all the catastrophe of our century, all its tears, as the Pope says, will be caught up at the end and turned into a new beginning. Pope John Paul often spoke of a new springtime. We haven't fully come into it yet. We have to go through the winter first. I remember speaking to Cardinal Ajivich. That was his personal secretary. You remember him? Yes. I remember standing with him in the Vatican and I looked at him and I said... John Paul II spoke often about a new springtime. I said, but we have to go through the winter first, don't we? And he just looked at me and smiled. John Paul II himself said in 2003, after purification through trial and suffering, the dawn of a new era is about to break. I, um, I, I, just, I was inspired last night. I woke up this morning and thought, oh, I should bring my book. Uh, it's called The Final Confrontation. And it explains what's coming. It's not doom and gloom. It's not the end of the world. But we do have to go through these labor pains. And, you know, it's interesting. When, when the disciples asked Jesus about what, what, what will be the signs at the end, you know, our Lord didn't say to them, oh, oh, that's doom and gloom. We shouldn't focus on that. And neither did he start telling them a parable. Jesus broke away from all storytelling and immediately told them everything that was in Matthew 24 or Lucas, I can't remember the chapter, Luke 21, I think, Mark 16. He just told them right now what was coming. And later in the gospel, he says, I've told you these things so that when they happen, you remember that I told you. Would you rather be sideswiped in an intersection? Or if you know, it, would you rather see the car coming and you can brace yourself? Because that's kind of what it is. The world is telling us that we're going into a great reset. That's what Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced during the pandemic. And John Kerry, and President Biden, and the whole bunch of them from the UK, all of them. They said this is, see, somebody, the, the devil's over there hitting the speaker. Yeah, 
<laughs> you can, yeah, don't worry about him. <laughs> that's just a joke. I don't see him. There. So anyway, that's what their plan is. But God has a, his own divine reset coming. And that's what this book is about. Uh, in 2020, it was given the Neil Obstat uh, by the church that says that everything is taught in here. There's nothing contrary to the faith and morals. So that was a real blessing. So, uh, but today, so I want to give you that hope. Because if you know that the goal is that this, we're, we're going through labor pains right now, it puts everything else into perspective. And ultimately, our perspective is heaven. There may be a new era coming. This is what John Paul II and many popes of the last century have said. For the Catholics who, who follow the apparitions of Our Lady at Fatima, that approved one, she spoke of her, her heart triumphing. And when Mary heart, when the mom's heart triumphs, you better believe her son's heart triumphs, right? And she said that there will be a period of peace coming for the world. And this is all good news. Thanks be to God. You all know the end of the Bible anyway. I don't have to tell you. I don't have to tell you what's coming and it's hope. But right now we're in a battle. We're in a battle for souls. Let me ask you this question. What is more important? Saving the baby in that mother's womb or saving the mother's soul? What's more important? Because if you save her baby and she loses her soul, that's a tragedy that lasts for eternity. Now, what I'm saying here is that our ministry and our job is not necessarily to go out onto the streets in front of an abortion clinic or wherever you do your ministry uh, plan, uh, the, um, you know, the, the pregnancy centers where you're helping moms and so on. You see, Jesus himself didn't always preach the gospel. When they came to him and said, you have to pay taxes, Jesus didn't launch into, oh, well, but we got to save their soul first. <laughs> he told Peter, go, go get the fish, pay the taxes, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, Caesar what belongs to God, to God. But Jesus did everything with tremendous love. And therein lies the answer. What do I mean? I remember just three, I want to give you three examples. Um, I remember when I was fired from CFRN TV. <laughs> well, I wasn't fired, I shouldn't say that. They, they just canceled the show and the whole crew was laid, laid off. Um, I went over to Global and I was ready to apply for a job there and I was waiting in the lobby. And when I worked at CFRN TV, one of the young editors there uh, well, she was about my age, but she was a real tough girl. She was really short, but she was tough, you know. She could drop an F-bomb on you any second. <laughs> She's just one of those girls, really tough. And I never talked about my faith at work, but everyone saw my cross. And it's so how, funny how they just know. They know when you're a Christian, and they know how to persecute you. They just know. And she did this. She, would, she was tough to deal with. And one day, I remember the Lord just saying to me, because I, I, I have an Irish humor, so I would always have some good, quick comebacks, if you know what I mean. Um, and the one day the Lord said, stop that. Just love her. Okay. So I did that. And then it was a few months later that I lost that, that career position. And I went to Global. And it turned out she had also left CFRN, and she was working there. 
And when she came down the steps and saw me in the lobby, she ran to me and hugged me. Oh, hi, Mark. I was shocked, but I knew why. Because I loved her. And I don't say this because I'm a saint. I'm not. I'm like you. I'm in a work in progress. I'm probably at the beginning. <laughs> but you know what? Let's not, let's not have a false humility and say everything you and I have done. We're bad. I'm bad. I'm awful. I've obeyed Jesus. Have you obeyed Christ? Have you done good things? I'm looking at this beautiful woman here who's worked in the, the prison system who began the March for Life, Sister Elizabeth. We've done good things. You've done good things. Don't buy the lies from Satan. And, and we, we need to acknowledge these things in truth and humility that God uses us as an instrument. And that's a beautiful thing. So when people come up and sometimes they thank me, thank you for your music, I look at them and I go, oh, thank you. Now, I know God could have given my gift of music to the next door neighbor. I know that. But I'm still using it. And it blessed somebody. So rather than say, oh, well, it's nothing. It's nothing. I'm, I'm nothing. Forget that. <laughs> Let's enter in and realize that we are ambassadors for Christ. We are participants. We are one body in Jesus Christ. You're not just an empty conduit like a piece of cement that the spirit flows through like a pipe. You are not. You are made in the image of God. And God is love. And you are to become that love in the world. Another time, uh, I remember this guy walking down the street when I lived in Vegreville one morning. I was going into the bank. And I saw him walking toward me. And he just looked so angry. And I thought to myself, what is your problem? Just looked so grumpy, right? And the Lord convicted me. He said, love him. And so... He's coming, and I realized he was coming towards where I was going. So I opened the door, and with whatever love I had in my heart, I looked at him, I said, good morning. And you know, his reaction was this. <laughs> like he'd been hit by a train. And he looked at me, he goes, good morning. Now, you tell me, how many times have you said good morning to somebody and you almost knocked them off their feet? And I'll tell you what happened is the Lord was showing me, I always say, he, I godded him <laughs> because God is love and he encountered the power of the Holy Spirit in that moment. That's what happened because people don't act like that when you say good morning. They don't. And then the third example, and this is pretty relevant to our day, especially what Cam was saying about, you know, our online debates and all these things. Um, I was in a debate some time ago on a CMT. Remember country music television? I was debating with others about um, a band that I liked. They, they were professed to be a Christian band, but they had this video come out. It was really salacious, really kind of dripping with lust. And I, I, it really bothered me. I, I was on this forum and I saw them talking about this song and I put my comments in and this woman just went after me. You, you know, you patriarchal, misogynist, blah, 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 your, your suppression of sex and all this stuff. And it went back and forth. But I knew in my heart I needed to love her. And I needed to be patient. And so every answer I gave, I gave her a reasonable argument. And I realized this was a really hurt person. But I didn't realize it until the next day. Fully. 
when she contacted me. So somehow, I guess when I signed up on the form, I was dumb enough to put my email address. <laughs> but in this case, maybe not so dumb because she contacted me and she says, I'm that woman on the CMT forum and I want to apologize. She says, you were so loving toward me and I was so rude and I'm sorry. And we started to talk back and forth and it turned out she said I had an abortion and I've been angry ever since. This, this is a... Time's up. Oh, time's up. Sorry. Thank you. God bless you. I think I got the answer wrong on the quiz. But... <laughs> right again. Uh, but we went back and forth and, 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 and I shared my faith with her. Turns out she was, she's a Catholic. And in, in our Catholic tradition, um, we have the sacrament of confession. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, the first thing he did is he, he entered the upper room. What was the first thing he said to the apostles? He said, peace. And he breathed on them. And that harkens back to the book Genesis, that when God created Adam, it says he breathed his spirit into him. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he breathed new life into them. But the next thing he said was so important, because how do we get new life in Christ? Forgiveness. That's how we're born again. And Jesus said, whoever sins you forgive, you eleven, they are forgiven. Whoever sins you bind, they are bound. Whoever sins you retain, they retain. And with that, the sacrament of confession was born. One of the most beautiful graces in my life is to go kneel before a priest and hear him say, by the authority of the church, I absolve you of your sins. As it says in the book of James, confess your sins to one another. So I told this woman on the, on the we're typing, I said, you know what? Jesus wants to heal you of this abortion. He wants to forgive you. I said, go to the priest and hear the absolution. And here's where this story takes a tragic twist. She went to the priest and you know what? The priest couldn't. He said, I can't absolve you. She wrote me back. I said, what? He said, the bishop has to give me the authority for a sin like this that it can excommunicate you from the body of Christ. As, as St. Paul, as we know in the church in the Gospels, sin can excommunicate you from the church. It's, it's right in the Gospels. And I was horrified. And so this is a reminder to all the priests out there who are going to be hearing this talk because I'm recording it. Make sure you have, in this day and age where abortion is so prevalent, you need to have this conversation that you're ready for a young woman to come. Because you know what she did? She got angry again. And she signed off and I never heard from her again. So I'm asking you to pray for her. I'm asking you to pray for her that the seed of that conversation, and that, that was a real tragedy that happened. So anyway, those things are some of the technical things that you know, um, unfortunately get caught up in the action of the gospel. But the point is this, she was converted by love. And so, when you are on the street and you've got a pro-choicer in your face and their spittle is hitting your glasses and they're dropping curses on you, in that moment, you're probably not going to win an argument. But how you respond is the key. You know, in this day and age, some people, they say, what's the use? 
In fact, I think John Paul II said that in this beautiful document. He said in number 29 of the Gospel of Life, he said, faced with the countless grave threats to life present in the modern world, one could feel overwhelmed by sheer powerlessness. Good could never be powerful enough to triumph over evil. That's how we start to feel. How do we stop abortion? When France is about to enshrine it in the Constitution and Biden is doing, trying to do the same and God knows Mr. Trudeau will try and do the same as well. How do we go about in this? And the answer is, as I said before, the one who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And when it comes to what we're called to do in the pro-life um, movement, as I guess for lack of a better word, although it's really not a movement, it's just called being human. It's called doing the right thing. If you walk out of this building today and you see somebody beating a woman on the street, I have a feeling most people in here are just going to go over there and say, stop it, because it's the right thing to do. And that's what the pro-life movement is. It's the right thing to do. But you see, even if we were called to a martyrdom, and that martyrdom could be a white martyrdom, it could mean losing your job, it could mean your spouse rejecting you, it could mean your family rejecting you. The, the point is this, it's how we are martyred and how we respond, that is the key. When Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't giving homilies in his words. He was teaching us by his love and his action. And it was enough for the chief executioner to look at him and say, truly this man was the son of God. And in the pro-life movement, we need to start having this eternal vision for souls. Because I, I think for a little while, we're going to be heading into some very serious labor pains. And you need to be prepared, not afraid, just prepared and trusting in Jesus. If necessary, John Paul II said, become martyr witnesses for Christ. And it's not about saving the world. It's about saving the soul in front of you. When we get to heaven, I'm convinced some of the most beautiful saints are going to be people you and I have never heard of. There's no statue. There's no shrine. There's no church named after them. They will be the highest saints. Jesus said the last will be first. The first will be last. The greatest among you is a servant. We need to practice this in our home again. Husbands and wives... You need to go home and learn to love that spouse again. A love that dies for the other. And it begins with forgiveness. Some of us cannot, we cannot love because we, we don't forgive. And we have to forgive, especially when it comes to our spouses. But forgiveness detonates Satan's lies, detonates the judgments, detonates the tension. It doesn't mean it's going to just resolve overnight, but that path of forgiveness and that path of love, unconditional love, is the way forward. And your marriage is not beyond that. Your relationship with your children is not beyond that. And that young man on the street who curses you out is not beyond. Your love, just think of this, your love could convert that young man. You look at him and you go, what a foul human being. 
It's true. In that moment, he's being a foul person. What a foul person. But you don't realize that when you are there loving in the spirit of Jesus Christ, it's like you are sowing divine seeds. You are sowing divine seeds into his heart. And he might become one of the greatest people in the pro-life movement because of your love. Three months, ten months, ten years, he might remember you and that begins a search and he finds the truth and becomes one of the greatest apostles for the unborn. And your love, of course, is for that unborn baby. It starts there. And you know who that unborn baby is in the womb? That's Jesus. That's Jesus in the womb. Because he said, when I was naked, did you clothe me? When I was hungry, did you feed me? When I was sick, did you come visit me? When I was in prison, did you come visit me? When I was thirsty, did you give me drink? Because when you save that baby, that womb becomes a prison when that mother decides to abort that baby. It becomes a prison. And that little baby is naked and will need to be clothed. And it's thirsting, thirsting above all for love and acceptance. But it will thirst for, for milk. And it will hunger for affection and meaning. And you love Jesus who said, I am in the least of the brethren. Whatsoever you do to the least of my brothers, so you do unto me. Oh, how great will your reward be in heaven. I'm so honored to be among you. You are the soldiers in this city. You really are. This is, the, this is a ground zero battle. And if we, as John Paul II said, freedom and, and life, they go together. When you don't respect one, the other one falls apart. If you don't respect life, you can infringe on people's freedoms, right? If you infringe on freedom, such as we've seen in communism, you eventually take life. The two are tied together. And John Paul II, he said, we need to begin with the renewal of a culture of life within Christian communities themselves. You know, we were talking at the table just about, you know, my, my dinner partner was talking about how blessed it was to be here and to see others. You know, one of the first things that the early church did when after Pentecost, what was the first thing they did? They formed community. Where do you read in the Gospels Jesus saying, now when I ascend into heaven, you go form a community. It's nowhere that you can see Jesus saying that. The closest he comes and says, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. That's how they'll know. And instinctively they form community. And we need that. So what, what is old Red Legs up to today? To separate us, to isolate us. Individualism is is kind of the precursor to the Antichrist. The great individualist is Antichrist who sets himself on the throne so as to declare himself to be God. And now we have a culture that is this close. Neuralink, Elon Musk just implanted the first neural plant in the human brain this week. It's the first step towards transhumanism where we can download all information 
And through our technologies, extend life, even upload our life into another consciousness. That's the spirit of Antichrist. Whether you and I see him in person or not, I don't know. But these are the times that we're living, as you heard John Paul II say. And so, this individualism has driven us apart. And you better believe, whether it was intentional or not, but I think that the masters behind this whole lockdown, which was the most unjust thing that has ever happened, it's destroyed our economy. Believe me, we're, we're pumping dollars and we're printing money right now. The supply chain, as I was, my mechanic was saying to me yesterday, is still not fixed. This individualism and, and scrolling on our phones, and that's not community. This is community. You need each other. And you will learn to love one another by your love for one another. That's how you'll know. Because this guy you don't know has come here and I love you. I genuinely love you. And I'm so honored to be with you today. And we need to do that. So you need to find those who are like-minded like you and start to meet together. Be not afraid. And And I have to close with this. How can you be not afraid if we are about to go through labor pains? And the answer is this, in 1 John. Perfect love casts out all fear. Let me repeat that. Perfect love casts out all fear. Who is perfect love? But Jesus Christ. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That is perfect love. And if you are afraid... It means you haven't fully opened wide your heart to Jesus. That's why John Paul II said that. You open wide your hearts to Jesus Christ. You live in and move and breathe and have your being in Jesus. He fills you with so much love. He fills you with so much courage and confidence that like the martyrs of old, like St. Ignatius, when his community wrote him he, that he was going to the lions, they wrote and said, we'll come and save you. He said, no, these teeth of the lions are going to deliver me into the arms of my Savior. Don't you dare come. That is someone who was perfect in love. So my closing word to you is to pray. Oh, brothers and sisters, if you aren't praying, then you're not on the vine. And Jesus said, if you're not on the vine, you can do nothing. Remain in me and I will remain in you because without me you can do nothing. You know, we can, we can put on a lot of good presentations. I can sing a lot of good songs. But if I don't have love, then I am nothing. And so in order to become love, to be transformed in love, I have to gaze into the face of him who is love. And so I beg you in the name of our Lord Jesus, as you carve out time for supper, carve out time for prayer. You can miss supper, but you can't miss prayer. You cannot, you, how long does a grape have to hang on the vine? Just one hour every Sunday between 11 and 12? Or does grapes need to hang on the vine 24 hours a day? One of the beautiful teachings of the catechism is that um, Prayer is the life of the new heart that we're given in baptism. If you're not praying, your heart is dying. 
your movement in this, your work in the pro-life movement will become exponentially more powerful if you were a man or woman of prayer. And so with that, I want to close with this prayer. It's a song I wrote from my own brokenness. It's a song I continue to sing to this day because I continue to be a broken man in need of Him who is perfect love. I'm weak, oh so 
Oh, my love, you are strong, so love.